welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 42, Grief Following a Diagnosis with Tamara K. Anderson. My special guest today on today's podcast is Tamara. She shares her story of loss of expectations for the future with two autistic sons. We sometimes don't consider that a diagnosis can create feelings of grief, but that's what today's story is all about. Tamara shares the experience of receiving this devastating news that her second oldest son is autistic. And then a few years later, learning that her third oldest is also autistic. She explains what it looked like after the diagnosis, what she did to move forward and to cope, and how this diagnosis has affected her and her family. Tamara also shares how her faith in God informed her journey. She's an inspiration, and her story is a powerful example of overcoming grief and challenges. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. Very excited to have my friend Tamara Anderson on. She is a speaker, author, podcaster, and is a professional in hope, which you know I love. Mm -hmm. She has four children and two who struggle with autism, ADHD, anxiety, visions, issues, and all, and all bring her joy. She is a sucker for books and can sometimes be found awake at 2 a.m. so that she can finish the book she was reading, which is a girl after my own heart. (laughs) Tamara likes kitchen gadgets, power tools, puttering around in her garden, zip lining, and hiking, totaling 14 plus moves in six states and two countries throughout her life. She now lives in Utah with her husband and family. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So, so funny when Tamara and I met last month, we realized that we had lived in the same city in Texas a few years ago in spring, Texas. And then we met each other here in Utah. We have, we have mutual friends in Texas. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, interesting roundabout way to have met each other many miles and many years later. (laughs) I know it was meant to be. It was meant to be. (laughs) Tamara has experienced some losses in her life. And I wanted to invite her on to share with us some of her experiences and how she has moved through those. So Tamara, tell us a little bit about what your life was like before your, your kids were diagnosed with autism. We lived in California when my two first children were born and my oldest son, Jordan, developed typically um, very, very, very busy, um, happy, excited, full of life. And then we had a, our second son, Nathan, was born about 16 and a half months later. And um, he was always just a peaceful soul, um, but he did not develop typically. Um, and so we, we kind of went along and, and, in my brain, everything was fine. There was little maybe mama intuition going off there, but we lived joyfully, happily. Um, we were in a car accident. My husband and I were right before we moved from California. And my mother-in-law ended up keeping Nathan 
for a month. Well, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law also helped watch him. And then my, my parents took my son Jordan. And so at the end of that, my mother-in-law was a special education teacher and she kind of saw some things Nathan had just turned to. And she saw some things that made her kind of go, hmm. And so she suggested we start the evaluation process. But that really wasn't, he got started getting some speech therapy at that point. But we just had a very typical, typical life up until that point. Busy, young family, doing busy, young family things. <laughs> yeah. So, so when your mother-in-law... When she brought up this concern, what was your reaction? I think part of me was apprehensive about that. But at the same time, I I was concerned and I'd expressed concern to my pediatrician like at his 18-month checkup. Shouldn't he be speaking more by now? And so some of it was validating in that, oh, yeah, well, let's just see if he needs some speech therapy. Whereas... I think my husband started to see the real signs that it could be autism much sooner than I did. I think I lived in denial, I guess you would call it, for a little bit longer. <laughs> Several years, actually. <laughs> but I was dealing with a lot. We were getting ready to move, and we moved, and recovering from accident and stuff like that. So anyway, there was just a lot happening, and so I think I was processing all of that instead of processing what really could be wrong with my son. Yeah, there's it's life is always more complicated than it is simple as that there's always yes. a lot of a lot of things that call our attention. So at what point did you decide to seek some testing or what what did you do after she she mentioned this? Right. Well, we we had him evaluated initially in California and he did qualify, but and he did start some speech therapy and some occupational therapy. But as I said, we were moving and we we're in the process of moving. So once we moved, we had to start the process all over in Arkansas, which is where we moved. And, and so we, when we moved to Arkansas, we started the process again of having him reevaluated. And, um, and so he started at a school called the Benton County Sunshine School there, which was a, a fantastic place where they integrated typical children with children with special needs. And so the typical children could model appropriate behaviors for these kiddos that needed a little bit of help with that. And um, so that was really, that was a good place for him. And he went there for a couple of years before, I think it was them who finally suggested, you should probably have an official diagnosis done. And um, back then, we went down to Little Rock to have that done at the Dentist Developmental Center down there at the hospital in Little Rock. And so to get in there, it took at least six months and you had to fill out just tons of forms and referrals and blah, 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 blah to get even even get in. So it was it was an extensive process mm -hmm. to even get in there. And so by the time he was officially diagnosed, he was four. Wow. So he had been in preschool ever since, you know, basically us moving there, or at least getting, I think he started preschool at age three, but he had started services, the speech therapy and occupational therapy and physical therapy in our home before that point. Okay. So, so previous to, to going to Little Rock, you had just been told there was delays right. um, that they were going to just do some therapy, the speech therapy and so forth, just to try to catch him up. Yes. Is that, 
yes. the way you understood it? Yes. And you know what? I'd had, I, I remember one of the therapists at one point saying, you should really have him evaluated for autism. Mm. And I had this inner battle in my brain, kind of like, well, you've told me this, but I've had other therapists say, he can't be autistic because he lets you touch him. You know, he's okay with touch. And so in my brain, there was that battle of, well, this one says yes, and this one says no. And and I think inside, I didn't want it to be autism because there was no cure. And And so while I didn't know, while I lived in this blissful place of denial, I was safe and I didn't have to face it. Exactly. Exactly. So, so when did you end up having to face it? What did that look like? Oh, that was when the diagnosing physician called my husband and I back after a full day of testing with Nathan. And they'd had a whole team of specialists evaluate Nathan down on Little Rock. And they, they said that they, they were giving him the diagnosis of autism. And I felt like my world crumbled that day. I think I held it together while I was there in that room with her, but I cried the entire way home. That's a three and a half hour drive. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think my husband had ever seen me cry like that, but the pain inside was physically just overwhelming. I, and I think what I was grieving was the expectation you know, our kids are born, we count their fingers, their toes, and we go, they're perfect. And we start building this dream in our mind of how their life is going to play out and how our life is going to play out. And so often in life, things do not turn out as we expect or as we dream. And, and sometimes those expectations are shattered in ways that they cannot be put back together. And so we grieve the loss of that expectation because his, I grieved for him because I knew his life was going to be totally different. Uh, I knew he wouldn't go to school in a regular way like I did or my husband did. I knew he probably would never play sports or get married or have a family of his own. And so I grieved that for him. Mm -hmm. But if I'm being totally honest, I also grieved what it meant for me. Absolutely. A total change in my life, meaning I was now the parent of a child with special needs who was probably going to live with me the rest of my life. And I didn't want that. You know, I, I that shock of having to realize this is what's really going to happen was overwhelming. It was very, very hard. Did, did you, when they gave you the diagnosis, because it seems like, and maybe it was because you had inklings that this might be the the path that, mm -hmm. that it was headed. When they gave you the diagnosis, it did what kind of information did they give you? Oh, back then, I don't think we really had much internet as much. We're right. talking, you know, early 2000s. And I'm sure they gave us pamphlets. They said they'd send us a report with the official paperwork and diagnosis in a couple of weeks or months or how long, ever long it took him to do that. And, um, actually on the way home, my husband, I think my husband had started processing it back when his mother talked mm -hmm. about it initially. 
And so he had like two years up on me as far as I kind of had lived in denial for those two years, just kind of processing as much as I had to, to get through the next day. We'd also had another child and, and he was seven months old at the time. And I remember the diagnosing physician pointing to my son, Jacob and saying, see, Nathan doesn't give you eye contact like Jacob does, Mm -hmm. you know, and just pointing these things out. And so I, I was just busy with so many things. And so Actually, on the drive home, I remember, for my sanity's sake, we decided we wouldn't tell anybody about the diagnosis. Because I think I had to let my heart kind of wrap itself around this new idea. I had to kind of sweep up the shards that had broken and try to figure out how to make sense of it all. And so... I think although my husband was ready to move on, he let me have that space to grieve and to do it in my own timing. And it wasn't until we got the report that we actually talked to the preschool about, here's the report. Yes, he does have autism. But it was hard for me to even say the words. (laughs) It it seems like you knew a lot about autism before you even went in. Because I think that if my kids had been diagnosed with autism, I would have gone, okay, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I would have, would have equated it. I I don't think I would have understood all those things that you kind of understood from the beginning. Yeah. I, I think when people suggested that he might have autism, I would look it up and And what little information I was able to find, I assumed that a child needed to have autism. They had all these traits, numbers one through 10. They had to have all those to have autism. And so I'd look at Nathan and I'd say, well, he doesn't give me good eye contact. And he doesn't like tags in his shirt. So I have to cut those out. And he has a speech delay. And and so I would say, but that's not all 10. So it can't be autism. Do you, and so what I didn't understand is that every child with autism is totally different. And one of them might have traits on the list that are numbers one, three, seven, and nine. And the other might have two, four, six, and not 10 or something like that. And so two children with autism look totally different. Interesting. And so I didn't understand that concept when they gave me the diagnosis. I felt like they hadn't ruled out enough because he didn't check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And so I think I needed time to process and come to the understanding like, yes, he does because he has these traits and he doesn't have to have all of them. Maybe that would have been a better way for them to approach it with me. But I don't, you know what? I honestly don't know if I would have been able to process much more during that initial diagnosis yeah, um, it sounds like you interview because <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. I, I, I really don't remember much else. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And I, to me, it sounds like you, you, you gathered some information about it and kind of out ruled, you know, ruled it out thinking that these are the things that he was exhibiting were things that he would grow out of. Yes. And then when, when they, when they told you, Hey, we're, we're actually going to give him this diagnosis of autism. It was like, there was no, there was no denying it anymore. Like yeah. you, you had to face it head on. Yeah. Slowly. Slowly. Yeah. <laughs> head on and slowly. Yeah. So tell me what the next few weeks looked like. I mean, what, how did that change things? Obviously you were devastated. Mm-hmm. 
You know, for a while there, I felt like there was this blanket on top of me and it was heavy. It was like a super heavy blanket and it was called autism. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, I was going through the motions of life because I had to, I had three children that needed me all the time. And even in the wee hours of the morning, um, kids with autism don't sleep well often. And so there was challenges with that. There was challenges with potty training clear until he was probably about 10 till we finally got him to a point where he was potty trained. So we were dealing with a lot of emotional issues, uh, communication problems because he couldn't tell us what he needed or wanted. And so there was a lot of tantruming and there was tantruming because he was tired all the time because they don't sleep well. And so there was a lot of issues going on besides just having a diagnosis pronounced. Um, and so this blanket of, I think it kind of settled on my mind of, I have a child with autism and trying to just process what that meant for me, what that meant for him, what that meant for our family. What is this going to look like in 10 years? I have no idea. I was honestly, I lived in survival mode for so many years that it was hard to imagine the next week, let alone the next year. Mm -hmm. And so one of my aha moments early on was one day it dawned on me that Nathan wasn't an acting any differently because of his diagnosis. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I realized that a diagnosis doesn't change a person, that all this that I was going through were the emotions of me trying to process this new reality for me, this new normal for me. And, um, and it was hard. But once, you know, I had little aha moments along the way that I think God kind of helped me. As soon as I'd come up for air, he'd give me a little ding, uh -huh. try this on, you know, and I go, oh, that's a different way of looking at things. And so I realized that I, he was still my Nathan and I was still going to love him. He was sweet and wonderful. Um, and, and that didn't change with the diagnosis. And so I realized that a diagnosis is really just a name that professionals give someone so that they know how to properly treat something. Mm -hmm. And I, there was part of me that didn't want him to get diagnosed because I didn't want him to have a label. But what I didn't realize was that the label would help him get the help he needed more quickly because pe people knew what to do. Oh, he has autism. Oh, let's try these things that have been proven to help kids with autism. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. So totally makes sense. I, I had to learn a lot through experience, but, but just little ahas along the way. Did, was there any, was there any sense of relief with the diagnosis? Like now I know what I'm dealing with. No, no. Interesting. No, not for me. There was not. Okay. And probably because you, you you already knew that there wasn't a cure, right? Um, I ha I've had that experience, and I think people ex experience diagnosis yeah. one of those two ways: either it's complete devastation, or a sense of relief. Oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. There is something wrong, right? Or something, um, in the or sometimes a combination <laughs> of the two. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so I've had like one of my sons was diagnosed with vision problems and he struggled with reading for years. And when he finally got a correct diagnosis, I was like, hallelujah, I'm not crazy. 
there really was something wrong. Okay. And so I've, I've been on both, both extremes and I know what that looks like. And so I think sometimes it just depends on what the diagnosis is yeah. and, and where you are as far as processing stuff like that. And so you have to be patient. <laughs> well, he was awfully young. And yes. so I can, I can understand how you would have felt like, you know, this is just, he's on his own track and he's on a different developmental schedule and everything will work out in the end. And then when you get this diagnosis, then it's like, well, maybe things aren't going to work out in the end. Right. And I think that's the sense that I got was that you were just like, oh, what, what's going to happen now? Yeah. So tell me about what, what do you think helped you as you moved forward? I, I know you mentioned the fact that you realized he was still your Nathan, like mm -hmm. nothing the day before you didn't have the diagnosis and the day after you do. And all of a sudden it looks totally different to yes, you. Yes. Yes. And yet when you, you looked at it, you realized it's not different. Mm -hmm. It's actually the same. I just have a name. Mm -hmm. What, what decisions did you make? What did, what did you do going forward? Um, I think it was a process for me. There were a lot of things that I had to learn and work through. I, I have learned that um, as you learn about something, obviously we, we consumed as much information as we could after the diagnosis about what autism was. And I did for a while there try to cure him. You know, I mean, there were several theories about gluten-free, casein-free diets and all these things. And so, yes, I had to try every single thing it felt like <laughs> <laughs> to, to see if there's anything I could do to help my kid. I was passionate about trying to help heal him. And as a person of faith, I also had to go through, I guess the best way to put it is a battle with God almost of, of, a battle of wills. <laughs> mm -hmm. I couldn't understand. I knew God had performed miracles um, in people's lives. I'd, I'd read about it in the scriptures. I'd known people who'd had miracles happen. And so my prayer for the longest time was, God, heal my boy. Um, our third son was actually also diagnosed with autism a few years later. So it was heal my boys. I knew he could but I didn't understand why he wouldn't. And so I went through quite a few years with God where I really, I was angry. I didn't understand um, why what I was asking for was a bad thing. And so I didn't understand why he wouldn't heal them. And so I also felt guilty for being angry because <laughs> are we supposed to really be angry with God? I don't know, but um I felt that way and, um, but I, I never stopped praying. I mean, God got to hear some pretty blunt prayers along the way. I was very open and, and in my hardest moments, I would just vent everything to him. Um, I'm thankful that he loved me despite it all and kind of was patient with me as I had to work through all these emotions on my own. And as I, as I kept doing the little things, uh, like, like going to church, like being involved in my community, um, serving other people, I think he was able to work with me, um, on a day to day, week to week, month by month basis, and just help me make just tiny slivers of progress. 
um, there were certain things like I remember hearing a talk uh, once where the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was shared in the Old Testament about how they would not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And um, and so he was going to throw them in the fiery furnace. <laughs> and um, and so basically what, what this taught, taught me was this but if not concept because they told the King Nebuchadnezzar that they would not bow down to his idol. And they knew God could save them, but if not, but if he didn't, they would still continue to believe in him. And so this concept of but if not was completely new to me. I always thought if you had true faith and you believed in something long enough and hard enough, it would happen. What I didn't realize was this but if not thing that True faith is believing in God and that he can do these miracles, but sometimes he chooses not to and being okay with that. And I remember when I heard that talk, I was like, I am not there yet. I couldn't say at that moment, God, I know you can heal my sons, but if you choose not to, I'll still believe because I wanted them healed. I wanted that so bad. I just... I could taste it. You know, I could visualize them being healthy and well and being able to communicate with me 100%. And, and it just wasn't happening. And so I realized that having true faith meant saying, God, I want this to happen. But I trust that you have, you can see the end from the beginning. You can see the path that this will take me down. And I don't want to walk it but maybe some good will come from it. I, I couldn't see it, any good coming from it at the time because I was just going through um, struggles even to make it day by day. And so I had to learn to say, thy will be done, not mine. And that was really, really hard to say. I'm sure. So the, those were some of the steps that I took. And as I, as I tried to start to open my mind to that concept that God's will is better than my will, even though I might not understand the why, he, he helped me begin to heal and move from this grief and this being completely overwhelmed towards making baby steps of progress towards that peace and being okay with it and acceptance and moving forward with faith. Yeah, that's so good. You know, one of the things I loved about what you just said is that, that you were angry with God and you were blunt and you, but you kept that line of communication open. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that about what you shared because I think too often we're afraid. Mm -hmm. We're afraid to express what we really feel in our prayers. And the truth is, he already knows. <laughs> he does. <laughs> so, so, and you know what? I haven't been struck by lightning yet. So, And we're not keeping any secrets. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's good. It's good. That is so important in the healing process hmm. is for you to have that outlet. Yes. It, it was vital for me because I really felt like I could tell him anything. And sometimes the answers or impressions came immediately. 
And sometimes there was nothing and I had to wait, Mm -hmm. but I had to put myself in places where I could hear his voice. And that meant hearing his voice either through going to church, listening to those talks that other people were giving and reading the scriptures and just putting myself in places where God could communicate back to me if I wasn't listening very good with my heart, if that makes any sense. <laughs> that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so you mentioned that along with Nathan's diagnosis that Jacob was later diagnosed. Tell me about the timing of that and, and how that played into your, you know, your healing and, it was really hard. I, for a long time, I lived in denial again. Gosh, this sounds awfully repetitive, doesn't it? <laughs> but I, I wanted to wish away his the way he was behaving because, oh, he's lining up cars because he sees Nathan lining up cars. You know, he is he's struggling with speaking because he's had so many colds and he can't hear very well and he was having some challenges hearing and ear infections and stuff like that. So I would rationalize a lot of the symptoms away on him until I remember it was, I think, at Jacob's two-year checkup with his doctor that his doctor just looked at me and said, Tamara, he has autism. At two? Hmm. He said that? Yeah. And, and I mean, his official diagnosis wasn't for a year or two more, but I, I knew I had been seeing the signs. And so I kind of went up and down, you know, <gasps> he's doing good. And then I'd watch him and say, no autism and I would grieve. And so what Jacob's diagnosis did was it put me in a place where I felt like I was starting at square one again Mm -hmm. with my grief. Mm -hmm. Um, I was rehashing the old, why can't we be a normal family? Why can't we do normal things? Wasn't one child with autism enough? Poor God, he got to hear it all. (laughs) (laughs) But by the time I went through my grief, and it, it took a couple years if you add all the years up, I was finally able to move towards peace and acceptance and be okay with it and finally be able to say to God, you know, I know that you can heal my boys, but if not, I'll still continue to believe and have faith and move forward. And so that was, that was a good point to finally reach but it took a long time to get there. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me too about, about your story is your boys are receiving this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said before, with the diagnosis, then, then the medical community knew better how to help them and serve them. But I'm wondering what kind of support did you receive? Mm. Good question. You know, some of the best support I got, I, I remember we joined, my husband and I joined the autism support booth in Northwest Arkansas, and and they were a fantastic group of people. We attended little conferences that they would hold um, and stuff like that. So that was important. Um, when Nathan started kindergarten, he had probably one of the most amazing teachers and she was a tremendous resource for me. I 
I remember going in several times to her classroom and I would try to hide behind the screen because I didn't want Nathan to see me because if he saw me, he'd want to go home. Um, and so I would just watch her do these morning routines and, and see how she taught and, and how she made a schedule, a visual schedule. And she taught me so many things, um, that helped me become a better mother of autistic children or children with autism. And, and so, um, I'm really thankful that she was open and willing to share so many years of wisdom of working with these kids to a mom who was fairly new and fairly overwhelmed mm-hmm. <laughs> by, by her two boys diagnosis. And she actually ended up having Jacob as well. And, and so they were in the same little autism classroom together for a couple of years. But, um, she was a godsend, honestly, to me. That's a, that's a tremendous blessing. Did you recognize at the time that what you were experiencing was grief? No. You know, I've often looked back on that diagnosis and wished, oh my gosh, wish somebody would have said, this might be hard for you to hear, but your child has autism. And I know that's going to change what your life looks like. So you're going to grieve your expectations for this child. I wish somebody would have sat me down so that I wouldn't have felt so guilty on top of the grief for feeling all these emotions that I did not understand. It wasn't until years later that I remember learning about the grief cycle and going, yep, went through that. Oh, yeah, anger. Ooh, I definitely checked that box because I was angry at my husband for a while because he seemed farther along in his acceptance than I was. And so I was mad. I was like, you don't have enough faith that they're going to be healed. (laughs) And whereas he was to the point of acceptance, he was like, no, this is okay. You know, and I was, I was mad. I was still mad. <laughs> I was mad. And yeah. so, um, and so I wish somebody would have sat me down and explained that's what I was going through versus me having to learn it years after I'd already gone through and come on through to peace and going, Oh, that's what all that was, you know, because I think we associate grief with death uh-huh. and stuff like that, but we don't associate it with this loss of expectations. And, and, and I've seen people go through it when a child goes off and does things that their parents were never expecting them to do. You know, they get into drugs and alcohol and that parents are not only dealing with the circumstances of the consequences of this child's action, but they're also going for grief for that expectation that their child would go on and become a meaningful part of society. And so they're grieving as well as dealing with the consequences of their choices. And so I think that this grief for shattered expectations is much more common than we think it is. I I totally agree. I I feel like there's, there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world right now. and, And so much of it comes down to not even recognizing what we're dealing with, Mm -hmm. not even, not even giving ourselves the permission to call it grief. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you got a lot of support around learning how to to deal with the boys, to 
to help them the best they could with the teacher, the autism support group. But there really didn't sound like there was any resources as far as someone saying, hey, you know, you're grieving. These are some things that you can do that can help your process. Right. There wasn't. I'm just glad God knew what I was going through and was patient enough enough to let me vent it all out to him and patient enough to give me little moments of enlightenment along the way that kind of helped me progress on my journey towards I'm okay with it. You know, that's good. That's good. Cause you're, and you were able to see those, you were able to see those little pebbles, the, 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 the trail of pebbles as as it were to, you know, gather those and to, to start to, kind of rebuild. So what did rebuilding look like for you? What did, what did your new life look like when you kind of came to that place where you were accepting of what was happening and you were moving beyond the the pain of the grief? Right. It looked like, um, I had finally figured out that if I had a schedule, that was what they needed. Mm. Um, and so, making sure that if we transitioned from one activity to the next, that they were given a heads up. Um, I also ended up, we had a little girl about two years after Jacob. And, um, and so I, I had four children, ages seven and under, and only one of them could communicate with me verbally. Wow. And so we ended up hiring during the summer, a, uh, little, I want to call her a nanny, but she was really just a, a, a young girl that went to church with us to help me during the summers because I was overwhelmed um, trying to deal with these kids on my own. And I've never been a person to sit still. Um, I don't want to be cooped up in my house, but I could not take all four of them out on my own. And so if you would have told me you have to stay home all the time and keep the schedule perfect for these kids with autism, I would have gone absolutely nuts. And so I knew that I needed to get out and like go to the library or let's go visit a pet store or let's go. I mean, we had to do these outings in the community for my sanity's sake, Mm -hmm. but also to teach them how to go out in the community and act appropriately, which wasn't always happening. You know, we've had many instances where, you know, Nathan has thrown tantrums in the middle of uh, school play or something like that. And so it, it happens, but I needed to figure out a way to help my children learn that this is what we do as a family. We don't stay home. We don't um, isolate ourselves. We go out, we do things. Um, and so I had to figure out how to make that work, you know, put that, those things on the schedule with little pictures, you know, first we're going to do this and then we're going to eat breakfast and then we're going to go out and we're going to go on a little field trip to, uh, one time we went and saw how they made bread at a bread factory or, you know, I, I just, I love exploring things. And so we would go, we would go and we would do these things and, and sometimes they were not very fun. And so that's why I had my cute little young woman friend along with me so she could uh, corral at least two and I could corral at least two the best we could and just keep going. <laughs> and that's, that's, so, that's so amazing that you recognized that need mm-hmm. and that you, that you did something about it. Yeah. Like instead of just sitting there and feeling sorry for yourself and going, I can't do it. You just, you looked for another solution. You're right. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, and my husband knew 
And so he was very, very supportive of the idea. Um, <laughs> I think he said it was cheaper than, um, what are they, a Prozac or I don't know what it was, <laughs> but he was like, you need this. And, and, and I did need it. I needed that help. Uh, I need, I physically could not do it on my own. And so, um, not being afraid of the stigma of, oh, now people are going to judge me because, yeah, I've hired a nanny. But I was there with her the whole time. It's not like I, I would go shopping sometimes by myself and I needed that time away. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it's important if you are a caregiver that you also have those breaks, that you take those times away. And so she also would watch our kids on a weekly date night um, because my husband and I both needed to get away. We needed to keep our relationship strong because we dealt with so many stresses day in, day out. Nathan's up at three o'clock in the morning and he's not going back to sleep. And one of us was rotating in and out mm. trying to take care of him. So we had a lot of stresses we were dealing with on a daily basis. So I think that was really important for us to keep our relationship strong. Yeah. It'd be easy for that relationship to get overwhelmed yeah. by all of that. So you, your two boys, so you have your oldest, Jordan, and then Nathan and Jacob. How old are they now? 20 and 16. 20 and 16. Mm-hmm. And then you have a daughter. Yes, Noel. What does, what do, what does life look like as a family? Like, <laughs> how do, how do Jordan and what was your daughter's name? Noel. Noel. How, what does it look like for them? Like, how have you, what have you done to maybe help them navigate? this oh they are jordan and noel are some of the most loving and patient and understanding um people with anyone who has special needs Mm -hmm. of anybody that i know i mean i remember noel even being in grade school and coming home and telling me about this sweet girl that had down syndrome that would come into her class and how she just loved to be with her and be her friend and and so, and Jordan is the same way for when he was younger. I remember him asking me, um, mom, why can't I have brothers that I can talk to? Mm-hmm. And why can't, you know, he, why couldn't he play with his brothers like other people did? And that was a heavy question to try to answer as a parent, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he has grown to be so kind, so understanding and so loving. Um, and Jacob is much higher functioning with autism, meaning he can talk and communicate. In fact, at this point, he is fully integrated into regular education, struggles with social things. Um, Nathan is still low functioning, uh, still does not communicate very well verbally um but you know when i get him on a schedule he is good in fact he's better than any of my other kids Mm -hmm. that when he comes in the door he takes his shoes off and puts them in the bin and everybody else just leaves them on the outside (laughs) so once you teach these kids with autism like a schedule they are so strict to obey it and keep to the (laughs) keep to the what they've been taught. And so that's really fun. But, but my other two kids are phenomenal and they're very kind and understanding to anybody who has special needs. They're just very sweet. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and really a blessing. Oh, it is such a huge blessing. It's a blessing for you. It's a blessing for them Mm -hmm. to have had this experience. I mean, I just, it fills my heart 
to think about the tutoring that they've received mm-hmm. to love those that are different. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's mm-hmm. really a beautiful thing. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. So what tips do you have for the listeners that are, that have experienced this loss of expectation, this, this loss of, of what they thought their life was going to look like? Mm-hmm. What, what tips do you have for them for around their grief? Yeah. Um, I would say wherever you are in your grief, it's normal and it's normal for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times we compare our lives to those of other people around us and we say, well, I should be at that point in my life or I should be at that point in my life. And we look at these people and we're like, I am failing so miserably. And the reality is we are each at a very unique space. And everybody grieves differently and at different paces. Like I said, my husband was able to process Nathan's diagnosis so much more quickly because he saw the signs and I was not because I could only focus on so many things at a time. Um, And so be patient with yourself. Give yourself that permission to grieve in the way you need to grieve. And I'm just going to give you permission right now. Tamara said you don't have to feel guilty for feeling grief. Okay. If you needed permission, (laughs) there it is. Um, Don't feel guilty. And if you have vented to God, just keep it up. He can take it. He's big enough. He's strong enough. And he'll help you through it. I I don't know that I would have gotten through it without knowing that I could talk to God through prayer. He really was my lifeline through all of it. That's, that's awesome advice, Tamara. I, I really appreciate that. I, and uh, this, and I appreciate you telling your story and sharing it because, because this is a piece that is missed. Mm-hmm. You received a devastating diagnosis mm-hmm. and there was all kinds of support for your boys, but there was relatively none for you. Yeah. And no even explanation that, hey, you're going to be, you're going to be feeling grief. This mm-hmm. is, this is what you can expect. There was no, no education around that even. No, there really wasn't. You know, in addition to no support, there was no even like, hey, you can expect that this might happen for you. And, and, and so I really appreciate, I really appreciate you sharing your story because it's such an important piece. Yes. You know, we talk about it on this podcast all the time that there's all types of grief mm-hmm. and there's 40 different life events that can create feelings of grief. And so it's a, it's an important acknowledgement. I feel like it's super important. So what does grief recovery mean to you? What does that look like for you today? Um, you know, I wish I could say that once I came to the acceptance and peace that I never felt sadness or sorrow or compared my son to somebody else his age again. That would be a lot. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. And so as far as, as what it looks like now, the bouts with grief are much shorter. Mm-hmm. They usually come when I compare my son 
with someone else his own age and think if he were that age right now, he would be doing this, you know, he would be applying for college. He would be doing this. And at those moments when I feel that sorrow, I remember not, not very many years ago having another bout with that and, and feeling a little sorry that he was never going to experience that life event. And, and just as I was sitting there feeling a whisper in my heart, Tamara, Nathan has his own mission. Mm. He has his own path. And there was just a peace that settled on my soul with that. And so I know that God is aware of me and the moments that I begin to slip into grief again, that he is there to remind me, don't do that. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Your child is totally normal for him and he has his own path and you do not need to compare him to anybody else. And I don't need to compare myself to anybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm walking my own path. So I think that is, that is what grief looks like now. It's not as consistent as it was in those first few years. Mm-hmm. Whereas then it was that heavy blanket I described, constant. And now it surfaces its head here and there. Mm-hmm. And if you were meant by the question, what do I do for stress relief, maybe? I think it's important that you find things that you enjoy mm-hmm. in life. For me, one of those things is reading um, or puttering around in my garden. I don't know why digging with my hands in the earth makes me so happy, but it really does. And my husband still will say, you want some gloves? No, I'm good. You know, there's something about me and digging in the dirt that it just makes me happy. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and, the comparison, comparison is, is a challenge. Mm. It's a challenge for all of us on all levels. And I can imagine with, with your experience that that would be a huge thing because the, it, once again, it kind of, this loss of ex, expectation for what the future was supposed to look like when we compare it, it just reminds us once again that there's this gap between yes. what we expected and and what has actually occurred, what is we're actually living with. So Tara, do you have any last thoughts for everyone before we talk about how they can find you? Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, last thoughts. I think whenever you get a diagnosis um, of any kind, the biggest thing that holds us back is fear. Fear of something we don't know and fear of something we don't understand. And my tip to anyone who ever faces any kind of diagnosis is to educate yourself. Find out as much as you can about whatever it is, because the more we learn, the less we are afraid of it. Um, and the more we learn, we can... It, it, it's almost like we are putting these little tools in our toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when we come to a situation where we're not sure how to proceed or what to do, we can pray for guidance or inspiration and God can help us pull out of that toolbox. Remember that one time you read about da 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 da, you know? And you go, oh yeah, oh, that would work in this situation. And so, I guess that would be my final tip to anybody who ever faces a diagnosis of any kind 
or a life change of any kind. Learn as much as you can. So, and, and I find as we learn about things, not only does it help us um, become less fearful of facing them, but it also helps you be able to be more confident that you are not the only one that has ever struggled with that issue. And, and I think often when we're down, that the adversary kind of kicks us a little bit, makes us feel like we're alone. And so don't isolate yourself. Um, learn as much as you can. Stay involved. Know that you're not the only one who's ever been through that. Um, there's support groups out there, the people you can talk to, even online. Sometimes you need face-to-face people, though, too. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you to find somebody you can go to lunch with or call or something like that where where you can talk to people as well. Yeah, to get information. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So tell us where, tell us where we can find you, Tamara. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on my website online, and that's TamaraKAnderson.com, and you spell that T-A-M-A-R-A dot, or I'm sorry, T-A-M-A-R-A-K, the letter K, Anderson with an O-N dot com. And so you'll find me there. I have a a podcast I do called Stories of Hope in Hard Times where I interview people and you can find that on my website. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and all sorts of social media platforms. And yeah. And you wrote a book. I wrote a book. Yeah. So tell us about that. My book is called Normal for Me. And it talks kind of about uh, my journey from grief to peace and learning how to accept my kids as normal for them and I'm normal for me and just being able to be okay with that. And just some of the lessons I learned walking with God through that (laughs) uphill climb. Yeah. But it was, it was worth it in the end. It really was. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You can find, I'm going to repeat this again. You can find Tamara at TamaraKAnderson.com. And her book is called Normal for Me. And her podcast is Stories of Hope in Hard Times. Thanks, Tamara. Thank you. As today's episode emphasizes, we can experience feeling a grief for a lot of different reasons. If you are experiencing grief from any type of loss, please visit buildalifeafterloss.com and click on the Work with Julie page. There you'll find more information about our programs and you'll be able to send us a message for a free discovery call. That means it's totally free to you. This one call alone could change your life. Go to buildalifeafterloss.com today. Have a fabulous week and remember, I believe in you and I love you.